Hello, everybody. You know you're in for a treat when you hear that sound because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games and Hold'em underscore Steelers on Twitter. And I am lucky enough to be joined like I am every week by this fun group of poker wizards. Um, So just before we get into the introductions, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino and Website Amp. So, fellas, here we are. It's another week in Rec Poker Nation. So we're playing against each other in the nightly home game on Poker Stars. We've taken a hand from the Rec Poker forums, and we're going to talk about it here tonight. And to join me to talk about it here tonight, uh, fellas, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourselves? I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5 by 5 on Poker Stars and Twitter. I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 everywhere. And they are part of Rec Poker Nation. They are the panel. It's a rotating group we get through here. And uh, we are going to look today at a post by our user Jamin96, who's my buddy Ben from the East Coast up here in Canada, another Canuckian. Um, And Ben was lucky enough to recently win a ticket to a very high roller event that he doesn't normally play in. This is one of the great things about poker. You get to end up taking these shots every once in a while. So Ben was playing in a satellite. Long story short, Ben was playing in a satellite and he won a uh, $1,000 ticket uh, to a tournament. And he usually plays a much lower bankroll than that, a much lower stake than that. So he had a few questions that he posted in the forum here. Um, Should he even play the tournament? is this a tournament that he should sell the ticket for um, and just put that into his bankroll and play the tournament that he's more accustomed to playing? Um, Should he approach the time leading up to the tournament differently? Are there certain things he should be studying or trying to bone up on Um, while he's in the tournament? Are there things that he should be playing differently or ways to be thinking about strategy differently or that kind of thing? And there are a lot of good comments in here. That's one thing I love about Rec Poker Nation. It's such a, we, we all want everyone in the community to succeed. So we're not going to have time to go through all the different people that responded here with their great advice, but we'll just talk about a few things that are good things to consider if you're in Ben's position here and you've won this high stake entry and you're just not sure exactly what to do with it. So, um, we don't really have a great structure in mind for how to do this. We're just going to talk about it live, but out loud. But first of all, don't give up on the, op- the the idea of just selling that seat. Like if it's if it's real life changing money. Like if you want a ten thousand dollar entry or some crazy high roll for twenty five k. I mean, boy, would it be fun and exciting to play in that tournament? Oh man, of course it would. Would it be worth twenty five thousand dollars? I mean, boy, I don't know. If it did, if it was worth it for you, you'd probably play in it for $25,000, right? So um, the fact that you're not makes me think that maybe $25,000 would be the amount that it would be worth it to sell it. Um, When you get down from there, you know, it all comes down to you want to get some experience in these higher level tournaments anyway. We are recreational players. Nothing wrong with taking a shot and having a good time, learning something from it. You know, you're probably not a favorite in the tournament, but who knows? That's part of being a recreational player, having fun. Um, 
And then it's just a question of, you know, how much is the entry when you get down below that and, and where it's your own personal line. Have you have any of you guys been in that position before where you've got that? Take? I know Doug, one of our one of our uh, premium members, this this subject came up in our weekly study group uh, for premium members at Rec.Poker. We meet every Saturday morning and just talk poker strategy. And uh, Doug said he'd been in a spot like this several years ago where he felt like his skill edge, he, he wasn't going to have a skill edge in this high level tournament. So he just sold it, felt great about it, continued to crush the lower level tournaments. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he always wonders what would have happened if he binked that big one. But um, uh, he felt like that was a good decision. Have you guys been in that spot or or have you had a friend that you've counseled like that? You can see the picture on the screen right now. That's me sitting at the uh, World Series of Poker main event. Yeah. So I won that ticket and I decided to play it. I made it to day two, but I didn't get in the money. But it's kind of one of those types of things where you want to experience it to really understand you are in the poker spectrum uh, from, you know, from the beginner to the more professional player to just to feel what it's like to be in that situation. I think it's a good indicator of where you're at and what you need to work on. Hmm. And and if it hadn't been so if the... you can do it for free or cheaply... Yeah. Yeah, I like that, Rob. And it, Rob, that if it had, yeah, if it hadn't been the main event, would that have changed your thinking on that when it came to whether to play or not? No, no, I don't think so. I think I would have. No, I think I would have either way. I think that's it's it's important to understand where you are. I think, mm. and to give to stretch yourself a little bit. If you're always playing tournaments that you're comfortable in, you're not going to know where where you need to work i guess you don't, you're never going to know what you need to work on to get to that next level yeah i, I so think you don't really, do it all the time but you do it every now and again <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think it really depends upon what your poker goals are i mean if you're actually making money from poker then you should never satellite into a tournament and play it that you aren't comfortable direct buying into it. If you don't have the bankroll for it, because once you've got it, if you can sell that seat, then that's cash. And at that point, it's your decision to play in it. Um, So if you are a professional, that's the way you look at it. Having said that, I was in a, not quite as good of a position as Rob, but a few years ago, Running Aces was having a their anniversary tournament, and it was a $2,500 buy-in. And I satellited in for, I think it was a $250 satellite, maybe even been a $125. But I want a seat to it. And I could have sold it at that point in time, but I, it didn't, I didn't even seriously considering selling it because I really wanted the experience. To this day, that's the most expensive tournament I have ever played in. Uh, my personal threshold is I'll direct buy, generally speaking, into a tournament if it's $500 or less. Um, and I do violate the what I just talked about, and I'll try to satellite into more expensive tournaments. But I'm not looking at poker as an income. I'm looking at it as uh, something I enjoy to do, and I try not to lose money doing it. Um, 
So for me, it was worth the experience. Now, that particular tournament, I had Blake Bone to my left. First time <laughs> I ever uh, met him. And uh, he just totally owned me it, in hindsight, the way we were playing. But he knew exactly where he was. I had queens. He had kings. And like I had worked my – I doubled up my stack, and then he brought me right back down to my starting stack, like all within the first three levels. But it was – a good experience for me. I was clearly um, outclassed. Uh, I should not have, it would not have been a good strategic buy-in to buy that tournament for myself, but I have no regrets at all playing it because I didn't need to have the money and I can fund my poker bankroll if necessary from my other income. So that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, and one of the um, one of the great uh, comments that came out in the forum was, you don't actually have to take that binary approach to it. You know, have you considered selling action? And I, I, that was a great uh, just way to get at both of these things. As a recreational player, you know, how can I save my bankroll a bit but still have the experience of playing in the tournament? Um, so, and just for our, our uh, listeners that might not know exactly what I'm talking about, so. Basically, the, tur- the the entry to the tournament's a thousand dollars, and or you know ten thousand dollars, whatever you want to call it. We'll say a thousand to keep the math easy. And um, you really only have the bankroll to play a five hundred dollar tournament. Then you can sell half your action for the other five hundred dollars, and you basically um, you know ten percent of the tournament winnings is a hundred dollars, and you offer five friends a hundred bucks each uh, to get ten percent of your winnings if you win. And if you lose, they get nothing, but they get the sweat and uh, you get to kind of break down your variance a bit. So you're really only buying in for 500. Now you have to give up half your winnings. So, you know, you do have to think about that a little bit. It is a great way to share that experience with other people though, and to spread the variance around. And it is fun. Um, if you've got a piece of somebody and they're doing well in the tournament, you know, you get to sweat them and uh, cheer them on. And that is a fun experience as well. So it is, it is a fun way to do it. And I don't know if Ben, Ben won't be able to, by the time this comes out, I think it'll be too late for Ben uh, to take any advice out of it. But if you're in this spot in in the future, that, that is something to think about. It's a good idea. Um, And I should say, of course, only deal with trusted people. There's a lot of scam artists out there, you know, uh, protect yourself and handle yourself professionally and properly. But, um, you know, working with people you trust, people in your friendship pool that you look up to, um, or like I say, just friends and family and loved ones that want to help support this dream of yours uh, could be a nice way to uh, offset offset some of that cost. Have you guys uh, sold action to tournaments before? I know Steve. Steve did a package when he went down to uh, the WSOP last year, I think, um, which was a nice way to do it. I think. I think. I don't want to speak for Ben, but that was one of the things that we talked about in the study group as well. Was, um, you know, Ben actually won a, a few of these tournament entries, and so one of the things we talked about doing was maybe putting like a package together where, it, let's say, all the tournaments together added up to two thousand dollars. Then um, 
you would just sell a, a share of that instead. And then the total prize money from all the tournaments would get uh, split up according to that. So it is kind of a fun way to do it, um, but it makes it harder to uh, keep 100% of your winnings. So there's always that element of betting on yourself versus defraying your risk. That's one of the things we love about poker, right, guys? Right. Yeah, well, and with the tournament poker in particular, even if you are a winning player, it's really hard to realize your edge, to play enough mm. in live poker games to actually realize the the edge you have over the field. So you'll, that's where you'll see lots of poker pros even. They'll uh, swap pieces of each other because that brings down the variance and then they can afford to play more. Yeah, and I know there there is sort of a um, a gray area when it comes to swapping and owning pieces of each other. If you end up in positions where you're playing against each other, there is a and there's this opportunity for collusion that wouldn't necessarily exist otherwise. And I think uh, you know the poker world is doing a pretty good job of just coming up with ways to handle that. And I think as long as people are disclosing at the table that they've got that they're sh switching action with people or something like that. I don't see any problem with them um, mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and swapping is a fun way. It's uh, and just that we're all friends, right? Like we're all in this together. So um, there is something fun about being able to cheer on your buddy uh, and having, having some skin in the game too. Right. Um, so one thing that uh, if you, if he is going to play, and we'll just keep using Ben as an example here. Uh, what are a few things that he should be thinking about in advance of it? And I think some of the basic stuff is basic for a reason, but it's it's just really good. Sleep properly, for God's sake. Like, you know when the tournament's going to be. Plan out, just, just plan out the couple days before then so that you're not too stressed out. Um, you're able to get a reasonable amount of sleep for a couple nights in a row plan to have some good food available and to like, you know, do whatever routine you got to do to get yourself comfy so that when you wake up that day, you can be focused, you can endure the trials of the day. Um, you know, these big tournaments are likely going to be multi-day affairs anyway. So you just don't want to go into them already tired, already unfocused. Um, do yourself a favor and take that, take that time to prepare. Um, well, and, and if you have time, uh, your schedule permits go in a day or two early. Mm. And, you know, if it's somewhere, what, whenever someone goes to play the, at the world series of poker for the first time, I always recommend they go in the day before their event, go to the room, walk the halls, see all of the famous poker players that they know and get the, get through the awe of just seeing 20,000 mm. people playing poker in all of the rooms there so that you can actually focus on your play when the time comes. And the same thing is true. If you're going to, it's, if, if it's a new room for you, go and play a couple of hands, even if it's only for a cash game for a little bit to get familiar with the area, make sure you're familiar with any uh, rules variations that they might have at that particular place. If there are any that you're not used to. So, um, coming in and just feeling comfortable is a good way to do that. And you can do that by, you know, play one of their daily cheap tournaments the day before or play a little cash, whatever it is, walk the halls, figure out where the restrooms are. Um, but make sure that you make yourself as comfortable as you can for an event that's a little bigger than you're used to. Hmm. 
I think that applies even if you're playing online too. Um, don't let that be the first time you've played on that site. You know, all the different site softwares have different weird buttons and, you know, the menus are in weird spots and stuff like that. Familiarize yourself with it and all the other stuff too. You know, eating properly, sleeping right, having your work, your, your a workstation set up the way you want it so that you can be comfortable. We talked about all this stuff in a seminar recently that Chris Jones put together about uh, preparing for big tournaments. And a lot of it just comes down to put yourself in a position where you can make good decisions, right? I mean, that's all poker is. Range people well, um, you know, do the, <laughs> pay attention to the right things and give yourself every opportunity to succeed. Yeah, and I think the the other thing is like just on the felt, um, just, you know, anytime you're going, you're, you're going up in stakes, you are, you're, you're going to encounter um, much more competent play. You're just going to encounter players who are not letting you get away with some of the things that you might have, that you might be used to at the stake level that you're playing at. You know, like I can, I can, maybe I can three bet a little wider because I'm not going to, nobody's going to play back at me. Or maybe I've gotten used to, you know, uh, calling with some speculative hands because, you know, let's just see where, where we land and nobody's going to punish me for it. And you're going to, at, at the more you go up in stakes, the more those kinds of spots are going to come up. And so if you're going to, if you're going to take that shot, you really need to start um, basically, you know, you don't be, you're not as scared of any of your opponents, but you need to assume a competence level that maybe you're, you're not used to, and maybe start to think about how that changes your strategy. Does that make me, you know, am I going to approach this tournament? Am I going to play, uh, you know, much tighter than I normally play? Am I going to play much, you know, looser than I normally play? Uh, how am I going to approach certain situations, certain textures, you know, really starting to think about uh, how you approach this knowing or thinking that you're going to have players like Blake Bond sitting around you. Like how, how is that going to influence how I, how I, how I approach these, these hands? Yeah. And on that note, there's, there's two things that I always think about when I'm, considering entering a, a tournament where I don't feel like I have a skill edge. So I guess three things. Cause the first thing is why am I entering this tournament? <laughs> Wait a second. I, I, I've already decided I don't have a skill edge. Why am I entering this tournament? I guess it's for ego reasons. <laughs> so then once I've decided that I'm going to enter the tournament. Um, so, it, I mean, obviously we joke, but one thing is you should be playing in tournaments where you have a skill edge. Uh, like that's what game selection is really important, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a spot where you found yourself in a position to play a big tournament for free. The fact that it's a tournament that you wouldn't play normally tells us that you don't have a skill edge in that game. So the question is now, how do I negate the skill edge of the field relative to my play? So there's two ways to do that. The first, and someone mentions here in the forum post as well, the deeper these uh, tournaments get, the, the, the deeper, the more expensive the entry gets. Typically, the deeper the tournaments get and the better the structure. So you're going to start with more chips and you're going to have more chips for longer. So that, that means two things. One, big stacks are the skilled player's friend. All right, They're not your friend. Um, if you feel like you're giving up a skill edge, having a big stack 
doesn't really help you. It's, it, it, it's the other players that are going to use the top, the, the bottom of your stack better than you are. You're going to be using that, those, you know, those first 50 big blinds just as well as they are, but you're going to be making more mistakes 200 big blinds deep than they are. So some, someone in our study group, Kim uh, at PetVet, one of our technicians here at rec.poker um, said one good way to think about that is you might consider late regging to this tournament because you're going to have a shorter stack and you're just not going to be able to make as expensive mistakes. So that's something to think about. There is a trade-off there because uh, usually what happens is the better tournament players last longer than the worst tournament players. So if you late reg, generally what's happened is, you know, more of the worst players have left the tournament by the time you get there. So the opportunity cost for late regging is that you don't have the chance to win pots from players that are making the kind of mistakes in the first few levels and they're just not going to be around in those later levels so there's a there's a trade-off there and i'm not sure there's a cookie cutter right answer for that um it's probably very tournament dependent it's probably very you dependent but there's a trade-off there that you might consider um and and there's nothing wrong with just registering at the normal time and just playing very tight and you know like not making that, that, you know, not making a mistake, but you're not really going to be playing your best poker if you do that. And um, you kind of, if you don't, uh, so the, the second thing about when you feel like you're giving up a skill edge on the field is to embrace volatility. Uh, t- take on the variance, make the variance your friend, because um, you want to, you want to get lucky. <laughs> in a couple spots because mostly the people that are better at poker than you are going to be making better poker decisions than you. So if you have a chance to take a flip, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think in one of the uh, Eric Anderson or monkey system posts. Um, if you're considering taking a flip, one of the things you should think about is, am I going to get a spot later in this tournament where I can take a better spot because of my skill edge? And if the answer is yes, you should probably pass on that spot, pass on the coin flip, and try and find a better spot later in the tournament. But if the fact is most of the people in the tournament are going to be better than you later, take the flip, man. Embrace that variance and see if you can double up here with ace-king versus queens. Um, you know, it's uh, it's the kind of thing that, yeah, you're going to go home half the time, but um, you're going to be better off taking that 50-50 flip than you are trying to decide whether to call with a bluff catcher on the river out of position with a bunch of people that are just better at poker than you are. So, um, so yeah. So what, what do you guys think when it comes to the trade-offs of late registering um, to preserve like stack height versus not, not playing against the worst players in the tournament? I think I'd rather play against the uh, worst players in a tournament start to try to build up a bigger stack myself. Um, so would avoid I. The, avoid the tough spots, right? Yeah. And I think the other thing to consider is if we're doing this, uh, you know, one of the reasons we that we're talking about doing this is sort of like the experience and taking mm-hmm. a shot and let's go and let's try it and let's learn and let's whatever. Now, if we, if we show up four hours late into the four-hour reg window, we've, we've, I mean, I, I never think that players should think about that longevity or stay. Like, you got to be willing to go out on the first hand if that's what the cards dictate to you. 
but your odds of playing a lot a little bit longer and gaining that experience are a lot better if you show up when it begins so i'm a fan i mean i understand the the logic behind that um because you are you're you're showing up with some better players who are going to have deeper stacked and they're going to have an advantage on you but you're also going to show up with some weaker players at the beginning of a tournament too so there's probably an equal trade-off there and if we're doing this because we're taking that shot or getting that experience uh i think i i i'm showing up i'm not missing a hand <laughs> well let's take uh 36 seconds here to listen to uh, jonathan little and then i want to get back at this uh, stack size discrepancy all right here we go have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead what do you do when you have a flush draw do you raise it or do you just call what do you do with ace king when you miss the flop are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. He does make it sound good, that Jonathan Little. And just before we get back to it, I should also say Steve Fredlin, you all know him and love him. Uh, he helps small business owners every day. So if you or someone you know is a small business owner, go to smallsmallbusiness.com and uh, see if there's a way for you to work with uh, Steve. I'm sure he can help you out. So here we are. We're talking about how to defend yourself in these tournaments where you feel like you're giving up a, uh, a skill edge. And we talked about some of the virtues of late registration. And I, I agree with what you guys are saying. There's this tension between holding your own, taking advantage of the weaker seats at the table that are there while they're there. Um, can you guys think about any advice or tips for players that are going to be playing in that deep stacked way that might help them defend themselves? The, the one that jumps out to me would just be play way fewer hands out of position uh however you find yourself out of position uh just don't do it be exploitably tight out of the blinds um just don't don't do it uh, other than that what, what do you guys think are there certain kinds of hands people should play away, stay away from or certain general rules stuff like that i think one of the biggest thing particularly for a live tournament is it's easy to lose stack lose track hmm. of what the stack sizes really are and you might think you know you lost half your stack but if the structure is good you might still have 40 or 50 big blinds so you need to be aware of that and be willing to be patient uh i think that was my biggest adjustment from playing smaller tournaments to going to some bigger ones was just you have to be more patient you have more play so take advantage of that mm. and don't be afraid to fold early but also don't let yourself be intimidated remember every no matter how good everyone else is they're still putting on their pants one leg at a time too so uh you know play your best poker but don't be intimidated and the other thing when we're playing deep stacked i, I like that about the patience thing the thing that i sometimes see uh as structures get deeper is that there's this sort of when you're playing in a daily tournament and you're starting off with 50 big blinds and it's quickly down to 20. There's this kind of rhythm that, that you have to sort of get used to in smaller tournaments, right? That like by the time we get into sometimes three betting, certainly four betting, 
we're all in like let's just go let's you know like we're shoving and there's hand and i see this when people get deep stacked that they're used to that rhythm but they're not actually counting out what that actually means and so you see sometimes what happens is i've got some sort of hand that i know that i'm gonna i'm you know like in a normal tournament i'm getting all in with right but here, like here, there's some room here to like ne- navigate that and negotiate it a bit. So like really thinking about bet sizing and really thinking about how that fits into the SPR, the stock to pot ratio um, is a really important thing to be thinking about um, once we our stacks get a lot deeper. Um, because we don't want to make this mistake of snapping off our entire stack in a situation where it would make a ton of sense in most of the tournaments we're playing in. And in this tournament, it really doesn't. Um, and so th- those are the kind of spots you want to look out for and really be thinking about um, how you're going to play them differently. Yeah. And the structure is going to be different as, as Chris says, like it's going to be a different structure. You're not going to be familiar with how quickly the stacks dwindle or, or how slowly, um, and so there are going to be spots where you like feel an urgency that isn't there necessarily. Uh, I think I think that's that's really important too. And 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 even to the point of use your time bank. You know, just just don't make snap decisions. Uh, you have to factor in a few more things. Take the time. Think about. Look look around. You know, um, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> how many times I've been like, oh, snap shove here, you know, and then like as soon as the chips are, I'm like, oh wait, I was supposed to be waiting for the oh, I, if I two more hands and like that is a terrible feeling, friends of Rec Poker Nation, and if I could spare you that, I would. <laughs> so don't, yeah, there's just there's no urgency in the same way, um, especially at these deep at these deeper uh, deeper stacks typically. Is the way it goes. Yeah, and I think the most important advice I could give anyone in this situation is just be sure to enjoy it. Mm. I mean, you're you've already decided that you're not taking this, you're not playing this tournament because you think it is good for your bankroll. So make sure you're getting your value out of it, and that doesn't mean you have to win it, but it means you need you should enjoy the time that you're playing, enjoy the experience. Don't be so intimidated dated that you can't that's so true i mean that's what we're here for right and uh i think i think that's part of what you should be doing there is having the life experience and enjoying it and and, you know making it part of what makes you a better poker player in the future too right yep and one one last thing about that because i think this the first time i played in in a tournament that was like a bigger stake than i was used to and i was you know i i I probably shouldn't have been in it like i was just like i was like i i satellited in i was in the same situation like i satellited in the mspt i i said i'm doing this let's go but i i and i think i think i had some of the strategic framework where i felt like i i was not i was not a favorite in there but i felt comfortable i felt like my strategic game was fine but i was intimidated and it mm. affected the way that i played mm-hmm. um to the point and i part of what it affected me was i i cared you know like i i cared what the other people at that table thought of me like i wanted to like not sort of like make these giant mistakes and it ended up sort of like 
making my game like I took less chances. I became more passive. I was like, I'm just not going to make this mistake. I don't want anyone to be like whispering under their breath. Look at this donkey. What's, you know, like, and, (laughs) and it really did affect the way I played. And so like, I just think part of that enjoying it is like, play your game too. Mm. like, don't, don't let the stakes and the thing that you're trying to take this chance make you sort of like nervous about what other people are thinking of you, because that's what's going to lead them thinking you aren't playing that well. (laughs) And I mean, you said it perfectly, right? That's, and and you end up making the kind of adjustments that you shouldn't be making to your game. Um, Especially in these, in these situations where we talked about where you feel like you're giving up a skill edge against the field. The last thing you should be doing is playing straightforward, uh, like, like passive, wait until I hit it uh, poker, because a, they're going to be better at knowing your play than you, than you are knowing theirs. So they're going to be able to sniff you out on that. Um, but, you know, that second point that we talked about earlier, you're not increasing the volatility, increasing the variance in your, in your game. And so just before we go, I want to talk about that a little bit. So there's, there's two real obvious ways to increase the variance in your game, which is to shove a lot and call a lot of shoves. <laughs> So I don't necessarily <laughs> advocate for that as a, I mean, my playing style does seem to mimic that from time to time, but um, can you guys think about you some could other also, ways? I mean, you could, you could, you could go a step a little bit before that, and maybe three bet more. You could uh, defend more from the blinds. You could, you know, there's, there's other ways to do that besides just getting all your chips in the middle. <laughs> oh, so, well, I can't wait to find. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So, so, so one of the things, the bigger the skill edge you have, the bigger the or the smaller the stack to pot ratio or whatever, the bigger the stacks mm. favor the bigger edge. So what you probably want to do is don't do as much small ball as you might normally play. You know, instead of doing the 2.2x, go ahead and make it 2.7 or maybe even do 3x openings. Um and that's going to be okay for um, for this tournament, and that will decrease your opponent's edge that they have over you. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, yeah, lower the SPR, um, and then also be thoughtful in, in that case about the hands that you're putting in your opening range because you're going to be playing lower SPR pots, so you want to have the kind of hands that are going to perform well in those p- spots. Um, and Chris made a, an excellent point here as well about other ways to inject uh, aggression or volatility into the game. Don't always have to involve putting your very last chip in the middle. Um, and so yeah, three betting uh, is just a great way to do that. Now this is going to be a group typically that's very familiar with three betting. So um, you know we're not saying get it a line, but we're, we're saying when you have the choice between, and we're not saying take negative EV posi- uh, decisions either. Don't ever take a negative EV play. But if you can uh, take a spot that's kind of tied between a passive and an aggressive action, you're you're more inclined to take that aggressive action um, when you don't feel like you are you have a skill edge to preserve um, for later in the tournament. So that's that's all really good stuff. Uh, what what other tips would we give to Ben or someone like him who's uh, who's getting ready to to take this shot? So consider whether you should play or not. Consider if you want to defray the cost uh, by selling some action and uh, find the right people to do that with. Um, I don't know if maybe people haven't heard of markup. 
it's just a way of uh, uh, capturing other costs associated with. So let's say we'll just talk about this quickly and then we'll we'll let it go. Um, in the earlier example, there was a tournament for a thousand dollars, and uh, we were charging a hundred dollars for ten percent of the tournament. If we felt like we had a real high skill edge and that we were more than average likely to win money in the tournament, then we could charge 1.1 or 1.2 markup on our action. And what that means is that instead of $100, it would be $110 or $120 for that same 10%. So if you sold your entire tournament at 1.2, you could sell 100% of the action for a $1,000 tournament for 1200 bucks. And there are professionals out there that just grind the rake essentially on that. And they'll just sell hundred percent of their action uh, at 1.2. They can live off that $200 per tournament. And all they need to do is, you know, perform well enough that they can still sell action. Uh, and they kind of got it made. Um, other times people will add markup if there are costs associated with the tournament, like travel or lodging, um, or other things like that that have to be factored into uh, their buy-in, essentially. Um, but if you're just starting out, uh, just just offer one-to-one and just tell your friends, you know, this much is 10%, is 10%, and uh, get some experience yeah. with that. Especially in a tournament where you think you don't have a skill edge, I would not – I would that would not be one I would start selling markup in. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. And they actually, I mean, they, there are – there, there are exchanges set up now. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. world's come a long way. Uh, I, I don't want to advocate for any because I don't know them well enough. But um, you can even, you can sell your action at a loss. You can sell your action at 0.9 because you understand that you're giving up a skill edge, but you still want to have your tournament subsidized. And, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. want to just, you want to get in this tournament, it's worth paying a little to do it. Uh, sell it at 0.9 and, and, you know, eat a little bit of that uh, rake to get in there, but it won't cost you as much. And it's fun. fun. Mm-hmm. It is fun. I mean, it's fun, it's fun. isn't it? For God's yep. sake. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks everyone for joining me this week. Uh, Rob Washam, John Somsky, and Chris Jones. I want to thank uh, Ben for putting the awesome post out there. And of course, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night.